Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boston Cage Podcast. On today's show, we're going to have an interesting conversation. We're going to talk about e-releases. And some of you may or may not know what e-releases are, but after our guest kind of defines and tell you what he does and why he does it, I think it'll be very transparent of how effective e-releases can be for you and your business. So without further ado, Mickey, the floor is yours, man. Who are you? I'm Mickey Kennedy. I'm the founder and president of e-releases. I started it a little over 22 years ago. Um, we're based in the Baltimore area. And uh, I, I started it uh, largely to help small businesses, startups, and authors get access to the media, including the Newswire distribution. Great, great. So I think I'm, I'm going to deem you the, the e-release boss, because obviously you've been in the game for 20-something years. And so just to dive into that, so people that don't really understand what an e-release is, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit more about that? Okay. So uh, about 24 years ago, I was in charge of sending releases for a telecom company. And uh, we were my job was programming a fax machine with 100 numbers, because that's all it could hold. And uh, I would hit send, and it would take about a day, day and a half to send. And then I had to delete all those numbers and start over because we had about 190 some sources to send to. And so it was like two or three days wasted. And we started getting calls with uh, uh, journalists saying, hey, we really like the numbers and statistics that you're publishing. And uh, we'd like to see if you could just email it to us as Microsoft Word, because we can copy and paste a lot of that data. And so I came up with the idea of like email, it would completely replace this faxing service. And, uh, you know, it's not a newswire. Uh, so it's a lot cheaper to, to disseminate through email directly to journalists. So I spent about a year contacting journalists. And I think when I launched, I had about 10,000 journalists who had subscribed and signed up wow. for the service. And uh, it just has grown from there. Uh, over the years, uh, PR Newswire reached out to us and said, we'd love to work with you. And uh, I, I was able to negotiate a national distribution, a custom national distribution that we do for all of our customers that goes over PR Newswire. And they charge about $1,000 to move a press release nationally. And we're able to include that, you know, uh, and our prices are $300 to $600, so substantially cheaper. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I think you, you kind of dropped some terminology there. So let's just define that a little bit. So for our audience, what, what is a Newswire exactly? Okay, so Newswire is basically an electronic dissemination um, of uh, news. Uh, it can be articles or press releases. There's two different types of Newswires. There's um, the ones that publish uh, articles that they've written, uh, UPI, Associated Press, uh, Reuters. They move those types of uh, stories along. It's all been written by them. And then they license it to newspapers who, rather than pay someone in-house to write an article, they'll just pull it from the AP or Reuters or something like that and pay a licensing fee rather than having to, to use their own staff to write every breaking news story. Because, you know, there's only so many ways to tell a, a national story. Um, the press release newswires are similar in that they're disseminated the same way directly into newsrooms and to journalists directly, but uh, they're sending out just press releases. So they're not articles. They're, uh, they can be similar to articles, but they're largely just objective uh, third-person style uh, announcements uh, where you're just trying to get the, uh, the meat, the who, what, when, where, and how of uh, the news that you're wanting to send out and, and putting it on a piece of paper or, in this case, electronic dissemination that goes out to all the different journalists and things like that. So um, the, the largest newswire or press releases is PR Newswire. And in the U.S., there's two other uh, companies. There is uh, Business Wire, and then there's uh, Globe Newswire, which is uh, sort of co-branded with the uh, Entrada 
uh, brand there. So I think they're trying to decide what they're what the direction of what you, you call that's going to be in, in the uh, future. But uh, it's it's a powerful way for uh, a, you know relatively small amount of money to get your message to as many people as possible. They tag it to the appropriate industries as well as tag it to your local. Um, uh, news, so they you know uh, they they know that if you're Chicago based, it's going to be relevant for Chicago media, uh, even though you're sending it out nationally. And you might be you know predominantly music and entertainment as your industry uh, of target, as opposed to you know something else like sports or something like that. So uh, these get tagged; uh, they're available. The journalists usually look at them by headlines according to the industries that they sign up for, and they can also do some uh, editing as well. Like um, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in anything that mentions you know classical. You know, it's music, but not classical. So they can put exclusions in and inclusions to try and catch capture certain stuff and make it very specific for them. Uh, but, you know, they look at the headlines, they, if they, if it appeals to them, they'll click on it and drill down and read the rest of the release. So that being said, you know, your most important part of the press release is going to be that headline because that's where you, mm-hmm. you win them or lose them. And uh, then the next thing is the opening sentence and paragraph. Does that get them to, to move along in the story and read and really feel that you've got something there that they want to share with their readers? So let's just, I mean, that, that was a, like a very defined detail. And I think, obviously, this is why I'm calling you the e-release boss, right? Because, I mean, you know this thing hands down. You don't have to think about it twice. You can kind of spit out these answers without thinking about it. So let's just do like a user case analysis, right? Let's say I'm a podcaster. I'm new to podcasting. And I hear about these these e-releases, these news releases. Like, how what, what would that transition look like? I'm coming in. I'm saying I have a podcast. Like, what's the next steps on that journey? So um, if you're looking for us to write the release, which we can do, uh, you would just place an order. Uh, We have a little questionnaire that we ask to sort of get people started. Sometimes people are just like, here's my website. That's all the information that I really want to provide. So we'll work based on how you want to work. Some people prefer a phone call with the writer. Um, It just depends on what works for you. If you're really busy, you may just want to send us a link and just say, write a release based off this. and then uh, we put a release together uh, in about three business days. We send it over to you to review, uh, go back and forth, depending on uh, if it needs some more information or there was something that you weren't happy about. And then we can schedule it for distribution as early as like the following business day. So uh, the writing and distribution, I always say allow a week. It usually takes less than that. Um, but if you have a release uh, that's already written, you can send it out for as early as the next business day, as long as everything's there mm-hmm. uh, that's required required. And generally, the newswire requires, you know, standard stuff like a headline, uh, a dateline that usually has a city um, and state. uh, It's usually where you're located. Um, It it doesn't necessarily confine you to only that area because some people uh, sometimes feel like I don't want to put a city or state down because this is national news. And I was like, but that's true. But even Microsoft puts, you know, uh, uh, you know, Seattle or uh, Redmond, Washington on, on theirs because that's where it's originating from. It doesn't get discounted for that. Um, then you uh, usually have uh, a few paragraphs and you can have a boilerplate, which is an about section you see usually at the end about. And usually it's a, a summary of, of your company or organization, or in this case, a podcast uh, about you. And that can be recycled and used again and again in all of your uh, press releases. You can update it as you need to, to include awards or anything else that is, 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 is worthy of putting there. And then a press contact. And uh, the Newswire requires a phone number uh, as, a, as a press contact. I, I recommend an email address as well. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the things that journalists don't like is uh, it always happens when they're going to print, uh, the, the managing editor says, I need a clarification on this. Uh, is, did you mean to word it like that? And they're like, yeah, but I'm not sure. Let me go back and contact them. So they really like that phone number because if there's a, a pressing issue, they can contact you and get that resolved really quickly and it can still go to print. Hmm. So 
in, in that another segment that, that you just kind of was a segue to with like distribution. So, you know, I, I've dealt with some press releases before and they'll say they will guarantee 300 distribution channels, 600 distribution channels, and including in those distribution channels, maybe it'll include the New York Times and other well-known brands. So what does what your distribution channel really look like? Like what's the span of range and what's included in those distribution channels? So it really depends on your industry targeting when you set up the release of how large it's going to be. Um, PR Newswire has uh, in its database over 1.7 million contacts. So no one's going to all 1.7 million because it just wouldn't be relevant. So uh, if you're picking, say, you know, technology and uh, software as categories or, or something along those lines, uh, it's going to go out nationally uh, to uh, tagged for those people. Yeah. And so um, it's if you're sports or if you're tagged with something else, you're not really going to see that. Um, it's available for you if you scroll over to, uh, if you're a journalist and you scroll over to a different feed and pull up a different feed. But most people are looking at feeds that are relevant for them. And uh, so uh, it, it varies in size. Uh, there's also this thing called syndication that happens with press releases. And that's uh, really complicated. But the PR Newswire doesn't like it. And it's slowly going away. And it's basically when you issue a press release, it gets replicated on a, a bunch of websites. And uh, y some of them are well known, like Yahoo Finance, and, uh, you know, maybe Market Watch and things like that. So it looks really nice. If you're a CEO or someone, you appear on all these little, you know, Fox outlets, ABC outlet, uh, little TV stations and stuff like that. But it's, it's no one wrote an article about you. And that's what's caused the confusion that Pierre Newswire is starting to re remove that. Uh, in the early 2000s, thousands, uh, it was like the Cold War, where each newswire was trying to get more syndicated sites than the other one. And so there was a point where you could issue a release and get 300 or more uh, links to all of these uh, press releases that you have on all these different websites. It doesn't really help you from an SEO standpoint, because they're all no follow tags. And Google doesn't hate them. But Google just says, we're not going, we're going to uh, just discount uh, duplicate content, uh, you don't get a penalty for for it, but it doesn't really help you. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of PR professionals don't like it because they're having to explain to uh, the people that are paying their bills, this isn't the goal of a, of a press release. We're actually looking for the New York Times to write an article. So we don't want the press release on someone's website. We want a distinct original article to appear. And that's the ultimate goal. Hmm. So, I mean, with that, I think you definitely defined the differences between like the standard news releases and syndication. So in that space, right? So you guys are essentially creating content that could then be picked up by an editor or editor in chief to use sections of that to then release it as a New York Times original piece? Is that kind of like yeah, the Yeah, they might recycle bits and pieces of the press release, but predominantly they write the article. And it may not necessarily be what you announced. Uh, there, you know, I remember one where Microsoft announced they were getting rid of bulletin boards. And they said, we're doing this because uh, we want to provide safety on the internet. And we find that this is a place where children can be preyed upon. And then the, the article that the New York Times wrote is Microsoft is getting rid of bulletin boards because they could never properly monetize them. They say that they're interested in child protection, but they're doing nothing with chat and all of these other new tools where there's real stuff going on that's really putting child children in jeopardy. And, you know, so they exposed the truth behind it. So, you know, the press release inspired the article, but the article doesn't really bear exactly what the press release is. Um, that's a wild example because publicly traded companies are always trying to position themselves with yeah. the best foot. Uh, but for small businesses and stuff like that, a lot of times what you issue is sort of the framework by which it gets turned into an article. So recommendation-wise, I mean, obviously, if you have a syndication, I've seen some of them out there to where they're subscription-based syndications that give you maybe three to 10 articles in a syndication per month versus what you guys are doing, essentially creating original content. Is there, is there a gift in using both or would you just recommend using one versus another? I, I don't see any real benefit from the syndication side of it. You're not getting the SEO benefit. There's very few 
end users looking at the syndicated content. Um, you know, the, even though it appears on some of these websites, it's usually a hidden section on the website. Mm -hmm. go, go try to find press releases on Yahoo Finance. It's a buried section on there. So, you know, my, my take is, yeah, Yahoo Finance gets a lot of traffic, but very few of them are going to see your press releases. That being said, if you get an original article written about you from, you say, the New York Times, you're going to get a lot of traffic because that commands a lot of eyeballs, both in print as well as uh, on the web. And, uh, you know, a trade publication is another example. Uh, it may not be a lot of traffic, but you might get a few hundred really targeted industry uh, visitors, you know, going to your website. Uh, that's It's very specific. And I feel like that's probably a lot more important because uh, those are the people that generally turn into potential customers or partners or uh, sometimes suppliers and vendor relationships get started that way. Um, and it's also a, a big credibility boost, you know, rather than automatic appearing on a website, actually having a journalist craft an, uh, an original article about you, um, you know, that, that says something about you. And when people see that and click through to a website uh, from an article, they're much more likely to buy rather than open a new window and price shop. You know, they're like, oh, I want to do business with this company. I read about them and now I feel excited about what I read and I want to give them my dollars. I don't want to open a window and go to Amazon and try to find it cheaper. So uh, they tend to be more loyal customers that come from uh, original articles or, or earned media, uh, which is used interchangeably. And, you know, they also happen to, to, to come back again and again because they have that warm experience from the article, that big credibility boost that they get. And and, uh, you know, that, that, that continues with the life of the customer. So uh, my customers have found that uh, the people that they get visiting their website from articles are, are probably the most profitable customers that they get. And so, you know, they, they work really hard to try and do that and again and again. And, you know, it's, it's hit or miss with PR. It's not unusual to do a few press releases that result in nothing. And then you get a couple that just really go really well. And it's, it's a learning uh, process where you're trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And if it works, can it be replicated? And, uh, you know, that's where strategy is probably the most important aspect of, of press releases, not how it's written or how well written it, it is, but, you know, what's, what's the press release about? And strategically, uh, did you come up with the best possible press release for your company right now? Got it. Got it. Makes perfect sense. So let's just time travel back. I mean, obviously, you're knee deep in this space currently right now. But in your, your background, I mean, how did you get into this space? I mean, were you like a kid running around with a notebook, taking notes, journaling things? Or, you know, I kind of looked at your background. You're also a poet. Like, how did you get into this space? Right. So uh, I, I pursued a master's of fine arts in creative writing in Northern Virginia. And that's, uh, I'm originally from North Carolina, and that's where I moved up to the DC area. And I realized I am not built for waiting tables. And uh, that's what a lot of other uh, poets were and writers were doing. And so I, I found a corporate job and I liked uh, being in editing and writing and, and, and PR because I, I was using my creativity and my skills. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's sort of how I tradition, trans transitioned into PR. And it is definitely the creative the creative part is the most important part. And it's the one that's taken for granted from a lot of people. So um, I, I recently put together a, a mastermind class of just PR strategy uh, for my customers just because I'm really tired of customers not getting media pickup and they're sending a press release on a new hire. And they don't realize that strategically that's not very important. The readers uh, of newspapers and trade publications are only about this interested in a new hire. But if you're writing about, uh, you know, your take on a new trend uh, within your industry, and maybe you're saying something different than everybody else, you know, that's, that's a little bit wider. And that gives you a much better chance of, of getting some uh, media pickup. And so that's the part of the whole press release uh, thing that I love is taking that strategy and that creativity and trying to figure out where there's holes are in your industry and can you address it with a press release? And is that an opportunity? Hmm. 
So I think I think you brought up another really solid point. I mean, the, 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 u- the using of a press release based upon what you just described essentially is not to say, hey, we have a new product or a new service. It's to talk about a particular topic that's essentially trending, but giving a different point of view. Is that correct? It can be. Uh, okay. So one of the things I talk about with strategies is there's lots of different approaches. And uh, if you have a new product or service, that's like a milestone topic. Uh, that's It's good. Uh, it, it, it could do really well. Uh, but for a lot of people, they're not issuing new products and services every day. So you may only be introducing a new product or service once every two or three years. So that's where you have to make your own news. And it might be uh, you... Uh, conducting a survey or a study within your industry. Mm. It could even be of your customers, your leads, um, and then publishing that to your industry. Uh, as long as it's a hundred, a sample of a hundred people or more, generally they're, they're uh, going to cover it or be interested in it, especially if you ask a lot of intriguing questions. I always say, take the questions that you feel a, a, a study should have and then add two or three oddball questions, you know, little quirky questions. And those are the ones that generally get picked up. When I see an article written, it's generally the headline of that surprising, quirky little question that gets mentioned there. And you see it in Cosmopolitan going back decades, where on the cover, it's like 17% of all men do this in the bedroom, page 58. Everybody's thumbing through, what the heck is on page 58? And the same thing works across lots of different industries. It doesn't have to be as sensational as that, but it, it can can be really intriguing or interesting. Uh, hmm. You know, uh, sometimes it could be a questionnaire and you just have an open-ended question with a field that says, uh, you know, what's the one weirdest thing that someone left in a car uh, when they, when they uh, traded it in? And uh, someone, you know, you just list a few things and, and that could int- uh, result in here's a roundup of the 10 craziest things left in a, a, a used car that was sold at the, at, at the dealership. And uh, people like to read those types of things because it's like a human interest uh, element to it. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting because, I mean, anybody that understands marketing is always the psychology of the individual reader at the end. So to your point, you're, you're kind of peeking into their psyche, catching their attention enough, then hitting them with a, like a solid headline, a solid byline. And then hopefully by doing those two things, you get them to read the content and then convert or get to like the pitch line and then move forward to the action that you want them to do, which is essentially buy a product or buy a service or at least sign up for something. So it's definitely interesting the way you're doing. It. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. So in addition to that, like you've been doing this long enough to where you probably had some really out of this world kind of crazy stories? Like what's the most interesting or crazy story in your business that you've ever been presented with? Well, uh, we did a press release for somebody who created a foam that you drop on a hurricane or a developing storm off the coast and supposedly it reduces the severity of the storm. And uh, that person got uh, the, the government involved and they went down to the Gulf and they tested it. And uh, needless to say, it didn't do what they wanted it to do because that was as far as it went. Uh, they, they said that they didn't see any measurable decrease that they wouldn't think would otherwise be there. But I thought that was really interesting. And he got picked up by a lot of different places. He got asked to be on Good Morning America, chose not to be because he said, I need to be in the Gulf with the government for the next few weeks. So I, I can't I can't go to a taping of Good Morning America. But uh, he, he did get a lot of pickup and it was kind of quirky. Um, I also had a customer in 2006 who created a hypoallergenic cat and uh, it got picked up as Time Magazine's Invention of the Year, and probably over a couple hundred publications picked it up. Uh, Discover Magazine, uh, Newsweek, The Economist, Financial Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. I mean, everybody covered it. It wasn't all favorable. A lot of it's like, should we be be playing God? Should we be making animals in a laboratory? You know, have we gone too far? Uh, that being said, they did millions and millions of dollars of uh, reservations where people were paying a deposit towards uh, having a hypoallergenic cat created. That's definitely 
pretty bizarre and crazy at the same time, but I could definitely see, you know, it's kind of one of those things, you know, negative versus positive, but either one media is media. So there's going to be a fallout of some positivity by default, just the rule of numbers. So I think in that you, you, you named a couple big names and um, in, in researching you a little bit, you had an opportunity to work on Squatty Potty from um, Shark Tank as well. Right. Yeah. We work with probably about 30% is uh, what I see. Uh, about 30% of the people who appear on Shark Tank use us. Uh, the producers of Shark Tank uh, advise them uh, to do a press release before their episode airs and afterwards. And they mention e-releases by name, uh, usually. I can't say that on my website. Mm. I can say that here, but yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I did reach out to them and, and I, I appreciated it. But they said that, no, if you wanted to mention Shark Tank by name, you would be paying a lot of money uh, to, mm. to be able to do that. So that's that's the unfortunate thing. But uh, yeah, Manscaped, Squatty Potty, there's just a, a long list of them who, who work with us. Squatty Potty does a lot of releases occasionally mm. with us. They're, they, they sort of go in cycles. Mm. And uh, when they do, they do a lot of releases and they'll take a little time off and come back. Uh, Manscaped tends to be a little more strategic where they do you know at least two or three a year, um, and, as well as everything else they do. They both do a lot of viral advertising and uh, a lot of social media as well. So uh, with, with your particular service, I'm thinking that if you have clients on this magnitude and they're reoccurring clients, that there should be a peak result after you do what you do. And is that something that you have enough case studies to back up? Right. So yeah, um, we actually have a, a higher end program where we handle the strategy and we develop the stuff for the customer. And everyone that enters the program gets, you know, a level of media success by usually month six. Um, and always, uh, you know, within a year. Um, you know, we had a client come in uh, that does carpet in New Jersey, local carpet company. Mm -hmm. I told them point blank, I don't think this is going to work for you. But they said, we've mm -hmm. got the budget and I've been told to do it. And so they did it. And on month five, we were touching base. Uh, we had done five releases, nothing. And I just asked them, I said, who's your real enemy? Expecting it to be another local carpet company. Mm -hmm. And it was Home Depot and Lowe's. And they said the big box home improvement stores are kicking our butt. He's, they say they put mediocre carpet in, they put terrible padding in, and they use pickup contractors. And it's, it's never the same person. It's whoever's the cheapest at the moment who just shows up at your house and installs it. And so we did a press release uh, about them as a local carpet company competing against uh, the big box home improvement stores. We didn't mention them by name, um, but we, we talked about the difficulties of that. And it's sort of like a David and Goliath approach. And they got phenomenal pickup. Uh, floor, floor and trading publications I didn't know existed came out of the woodwork and covered okay. them. And one of them uh, said that they got more uh, positive feedback from readers on that article than they'd gotten over the past year on everything. Okay. Uh, and so uh, it turns out that marketing was a vacuum. Uh, in their industry. Nobody was really talking about marketing and nobody was talking about marketing against these big guys and how difficult it is because they win so many of the bids. And so, uh, you know, they, they, they got local media pickup, they got some national media pickup and they got a lot of floor trade publication pickup, which they continue to do so. And after a while they would uh, go into a, a job and say, here's a book of all our press clippings. And they would just have the person thumb through it. And they'd say, just to let you know, uh, we're not going to come in at the, as the cheapest, but we use quality padding. Our people are career people that work here. Uh, the same person who puts down your flooring is going to be putting down floor probably in five years, unlike the other guys. And, uh, you know, we, we, we pay health insurance and retirement benefits and we stand behind our product and we are recognized nationally and nobody else around here can say, say that. And uh, they used to try to uh, come in under Home Depot and Lowe's. They used to try to come in as the lowest and they, they, they started winning more bids being 20% higher. And so that was like a huge, uh, you know, burst for them and a real positive way to use those media clippings because appearing in a floor and trade publication doesn't help you with your customers because your customers aren't there, Correct. but you can package that and share that with the customers the way they do. And it, we, they call it the brag book where they just sit and go through page after page of all these uh, media mentions that they have. 
it seems like that's a whole another business like subunit in itself. I mean, you guys can essentially say, take all these clippings, all the articles that you've ever been publicized in, and you can kind of create a brag book for them. It's kind of going to be like a line add-on item to kind of sell and promote as well. well ironically, uh, if we try to do that, we get in trouble with copyright. Uh, but if, if the end user himself does it, or we help them, uh, by pointing out where the links are and have them craft it, uh, it sort of more falls in fair use, uh, for you to grab it for yourself. But that is something that we've, we've learned over the years where we've been contacted by some people about clippings that we have and things like that. Hmm. So that's weird that it, I mean, it comes into like the copywriting segment of it. I mean, I mean, once it's released to the public and all you're doing is resourcing the service, how is that copyright infringement? Well, because they believe that they control the copyright and you should only be able to view it on their website. You shouldn't be able to take a picture of it and share it with someone that now they don't get the benefit of oh, the ads. ads. They don't get the uh, and stuff like that. So it, 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 it's not too bad in the U.S. Uh, in the U.K., it's it's horrific. Uh, everybody who shares uh, clippings and if they put them on their own website have to pay a licensing fee to an organization that is in charge of just licensing for every uh, media uh, outlet. So if you got picked up in, uh, you know, a UK publication and you put a, a screenshot on your website, you will just get a letter in the mail saying you now owe us 1400 pounds. Uh, and, uh, you know, here's how you can license it in the future and only pay 400 pounds a year for as long as you keep it up or something like that. That's definitely crazy. So, I mean, just going inside the legalities a little bit, I mean, like, what kind of business structure do you have? Are you an S-Corp, a C-Corp, an LLC? And, and I'm an LLC, but I elected S-Corp for tax uh, purposes. Uh, that was something that I was advised over the years to do. So it's, I think this is predominantly like an S-Corp from a tax standpoint. So with that, I mean, obviously there's many tentacles to like just publication in general, and you're in a particular niche of publication. So what systems do you have in place to help manage your clients and, and manage the distribution of the channels that you're working with? So uh, we use uh, Help Scout uh, as sort of a ticketless system working with the customers. Uh, to the customers, it looks like we're just responding through email, but on our end, it's all through a ticket system where each editor uh, gets assigned a customer and, and they'll only see that person going back and forth. So it allows them to have an individual experience where they're working with one person uh, during the duration of an, of an order. Um, and then we send everything over electronically through PR Newswire, uh, through our, our special channels that we have and APIs that we have with them. And, uh, and then they do their distribution. And then we also do uh, our email sends uh, online through uh, a portal. Um, and we have someone who, who just specializes in doing that. Nice, nice. So I think you alluded to this earlier, and we always hear about someone being like perceived to be an overnight success. Somebody may hear this episode and they're like, but where's this guy been? Like, did he just pop up on the map and he sounds highly successful? But in reality, it probably took 20 years to get there. How long did it take you to get to currently where you are? Um, it took me probably, a, a, well, right now I'm on track to, to do $6 million a year in revenue. Um, last year it was about 5.7 million in revenue. Um, the first five years of my business, I didn't make enough to live off of it. So I was working another full-time job, the telecom company for a couple of years. And then, and then I had another business that I had started that was an email delivery. So, uh, e-releases was part of that. But I did email delivery of email newsletters on all different types of content. I had poem a day. I had horoscopes. I had all this stuff. And then uh, the dot-com crash happened. And that business was doing about $50,000 a month in advertising revenue. And it went to zero. And at that point, I had uh, e-releases, which was doing about 3000 a month in revenue. And it continued. So the, the, the consumer side of the newsletters dried up completely, but e-releases was, was, had some life to it. So I just focused all my energy on it for the first time. And I took almost every dollar that came in and reinvested in advertising, promoting, doing blogs, you know, just hustling. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it grew. 
And at a, at a certain point, I knew I needed an employee, but I was afraid to hire an employee, business go down, and then I have to lay them off because it's like, it didn't seem yeah. very fair. So when I finally did hire an employee, I really should have already had hired them six months before, but I was slow to it. And then we started adding more staff as, as we continued to grow. It was very, you know, with most years, we only grew about anywhere from 10 to 17%. There was one year that we grew like 25%, but it's mostly been incremental and small like that. And we're still growing at that clip, um, about 10, 12%, I think right now. Um, uh, so it, it, it comes with its headaches for someone like who started a business because they wanted to, you know, uh, have some independence and you, you, you lose that as you start adding staff and employees and procedures and things like that. But, you know, it's your creation and you're, and you're drawn to it. And I, I love it. I love the excitement of it. Um, I like, you know, that something I've created is, has a life of its own and it has to be managed a little bit. And uh, I, I feel like I'm up to the challenge of, of doing it and, and getting in there. I love the marketing of it. That's my real thing. The, the marketing of it and the strategy of, you know, trying to, to make my customers do better. And uh, that's why the, the PR strategy that I've, I've been working on lately, I'm really excited about because I really feel like it solves a problem with my customers who don't see positive results because they're not really, you know, doing the strategic stuff that they need to do and analyze their market and find the real opportunities that are just sitting there. Hmm. So, I mean, that, that brings me to two additional questions. I mean, one of them, you were saying that you got to 5 million and you jumped to 6 million. And, you know, anybody that, that gets to the 5 million point, is kind of like one of those... Um, kind of cliffhangers, right? You kind of get stuck at 5 million. And then once you break past the 5 million, then 10 million, 20 million and so forth. For, for me, it was 2 million. I got stuck at, I got stuck at 2 million. And I just, I think I went from 2 million to 1.9 to 2.3. And it just seemed like I was just uh, treading water there for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and it took a while to get to 5 million, but, uh, I, I feel like things have, have, have been progressing. Um, I definitely felt like I was churning at 2 million and that was really difficult. And actually I think I was considering even selling the company then, cause it was just, it just seemed like I couldn't find the answers to get me, uh, to, to grow out of that space. But eventually I did. Um, and you know, some of the things that I did was, uh, try to examine, I'm a new customer of e-releases. How do I convince you to do a PR campaign and not just one press release? Because oh, yeah. at one point, 90% of my new customers only did one press release. And that was it. They would, uh, and we'd talk to them and they'd say, yeah, I gave it a try. You seem like a good company, but we, nothing happened. And I'm just like, yeah, but you know, that's not a PR campaign. And uh, you know, so we send suggestions to customers on what their next press release should be. That was one of the things that we do. We do for all new customers. We say, here's some ideas that we've came up with analyzing you and your industry a little bit. And so we, we, we give them that, uh, you know, that, that idea for what might be a compelling idea for a press release and, you know, something that's a little more strategic. And then we uh, give them, you know, some advice on how to better write and just make ourselves available to them. And, you know, we, we've, we've increased it where I think around 20 some percent of customers will use us repeatedly. And that's what moved us out of the $2 million range. Doesn't seem like a lot. That's still a lot of people that are not using us more than once. But I've just come to recognize that when it comes to marketing, there are a lot of people that are looking for the one hit wonders. And they'll go and they'll say, I'm going to learn Pinterest today. I'm going to give it a try for a couple of weeks. And then if it doesn't do what I wanted it to do, I'm just going to move on to the next shiny object. And so uh, that's, that's where press releases uh, for a lot of people fail because they, they don't commit to a PR campaign. They just try one single release. And, you know, it's quite possible that they could get some real meaningful media coverage and have a meaningful outcome. Uh, but they just got to put that strategy in there and, uh, you know, try a few different approaches. Hmm. Very, 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 very interesting. So 
in, in what you just said, right? If you can travel back in time and change one thing on this journey to, you know, obviously you had the, the 2 million struggle, then you got to the 5 million. Now you're on, on upward climb. What's one thing that you would change in that formula to do everything all over again? I think trust my employees sooner. Um, I spent four years and I really felt like I came close to having a heart attack with uh, hiring employees, trying to have the best employee, uh, micromanaging every phone call and saying, this isn't how I would have handled it. And I, I, I had an HR uh, professional in uh, the UK who specializes in hiring, uh, who was in a mastermind of mine. And she spent some time with me and analyzed everything. And she says, Mickey, I've interviewed all these people. They're very competent. They're very smart. And she says, uh, but they're afraid of you. They're not happy here. So they're not going to be around very long. We had a, a, a very quick turnover. Most people stayed one to two years. And she said, uh, you need to just trust that they're going to get the job done and they're not going to handle every conversation the way you would handle it as the boss, but they're not going to handle it in a way that you're going to lose business. And so I, I just got up one day and told the staff I wasn't coming into the work anymore. Uh, and, uh, that if they needed me, I would be available at home. And that was in, uh, 2015. And it was the best thing I ever did. The business just grew uh, really strong after that. And the same staff that were there when I left are still there. Um, and so now, now some are going on eight years and they're happy and they're able to do their job without me breathing down their neck saying, that's not the way to handle it. You should have used this closing statement. You should have done this, that, and the other. So it's just real people doing, doing real experiences. And I found that, you know, uh, I, 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 I'm not surprised that I'm a bad boss because uh, I, I went in business because I didn't like being told what to do by other people. And so, uh, but I, I, I do feel very fortunate that I finally woke up and realized that um, I don't need to be in the day-to-day operations of, of that business. I put someone in in management who's a, a warm mother-like figure who gives encouragement and somehow finds a positive way to, to make corrections and get stuff on track. Uh, completely different from my style. My, my style is to be a little bit more critical and just upfront. And uh, so, you know, that's the big thing I would have done is save myself a lot of grief, save my staff a lot of grief. I think of all the people I lost over the years that were probably great employees and I just sort of rushed them out the door. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a big acknowledgement for me that, you know, I, I, as great a, a businessman as I am, I wasn't a good, you know, employer. And so that that's something I wished I had learned because I, I definitely feel uh, that, you know, you're, you're only as valuable as your staff because they keep the, the, the lights on. They keep things running. They save you from a lot of the headaches. They allow me to focus on marketing. They allow me to build out the master classes for strategy. They allow me you know, the ability to, to focus on what I want to in my business and, and they're handling the day-to-day -day stuff. And definitely. I mean, you, some of the elements of what you just, it sounded like you was kind of describing Steve Jobs to a certain extent, right? Trying to find that balance and equilibrium between being an overhanging boss and being more of a subjective boss. So my next question is kind of like, I mean, obviously, like you said, you're a great business person. Like you're very business savvy. You're very well aware of your business. Did that come from an entrepreneurial background? Any family members in your history are entrepreneurs? Yeah. Um, so my grandfather was always running businesses and he would get tired of them and move on to something else. He had a restaurant. He owned a ice house where he, he sold ice to grocery stores. Uh, he had a clam house. Uh, uh, where, where he bought and sold clams. Uh, he, he did a little bit of everything and he would do it for a few years. He'd lose interest. He'd sell it and move on to something else. Uh, he had a marina and a motel. You, you know, this was a guy who I just was enamored with because it just seemed like he was always doing cool stuff. Uh, and as soon as it got, you know, tiring, he would just move on to something else. I guess I'm a little bit different because I, I like, the challenge of growing the business and I want to keep seeing it succeed. And I've had ebbs and flows uh, over the years, one point where I, I considered selling the business, but uh, you know, for the most part, 
I, I feel energized by it. And I keep wanting to get in there and make things a little bit better and improve the bottom line and, and just grow. Hmm. It's very interesting. So how do you currently juggle your work life with your family life, your work life balance? Well, um, I generally try to give myself off on the weekends uh, and and uh, make make myself available for family there. Um, and the same thing with evenings, usually uh, at seven o'clock or sooner, <laughs> depending on how tiring I am, I, I will, uh, uh, you know, just take a break and go watch TV and hang out with family and stuff like that. Um, it's hard because I am a, a 60 hour a week kind of guy. Mm -hmm. So I am up and working usually from, you know, six or seven in the morning till around seven o'clock at night, at least Monday through Friday. And occasionally I'll have a project that I'll work on on the weekend. But, um, you know, it, it is, it, it's, it's one of those things that I have to fight and carve out time for. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a poet. So I still try to write uh, four or five times a week. Um, I like to meditate. Um, I use an app called 10% Happier. Uh, I, I tried meditation over the years. It never worked. And then I tried this one, and it gives you these introductions, and they walk you through it. And they basically explain you're never going to have that calm place in your head where you're just going to zen out for 10 minutes. You're always going to have thoughts that invade you. But the thing is, you just have to channel back to the breath and get back on focus. And it's like a muscle. The more you develop it, the better you get. And so those are the types of things that, that I do. Uh, I need to exercise more. And that's one of the things I keep saying I'm going to work on. But uh, um, it, it, every time I get started, it's always a, a back injury or a knee or something like that that prevents me. But I mean, it's funny that you brought that because, you know, just, just hearing you speak and just, just, you know, getting to know you a little bit better, it just seems like we share the same commonality. It's kind of like going to sleep is only something that, that we, we do because we have to do, not because we want to do it. So to kind of turn off your brain is, I would think, would be really difficult for you to do that at any given time. Um, so, like, in that, what does your morning habits, your morning routines look like? So I get up and uh, I start... Uh, brushing my teeth and running a bath. I love a hot, warm bath in the morning. I put all the soaps and good smellies in there. And uh, uh, and then I make a cup of coffee and I take it in. And I just sit in the bathtub and just zen out a little bit. It's not really meditation, but it's pretty close to it. It's just... Uh, uh, just I, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm settling into being awake. And uh, also... Uh, in a way, just just blending in with the heat. There's just something magical that that happens there. Um, after that, I get up and I usually um, uh, either meditate or write, um, depending on how I feel. Some mornings where I'm feeling really good, I'll meditate and then I'll write, and uh, and then after that, I'll go in and check my Google Ads, and then the next thing I know, five hours have passed. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, after you take a hot bath early in the morning, not at night, I mean, how could you even continue your day after that? It's like, you just don't want to, you just want to lounge at that point. It's kind of- Not, not me. I feel like I'm ready for the day. I feel like, yeah. I, I, I feel like I wake up and I feel refreshed, but I don't feel really relaxed. And so mm -hmm. the, 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 the bath really just anchors me for the day. Hmm. That's definitely, that's the first time I've heard it. It's definitely interesting. But, Something yeah. that I'm about to try. That being said, I, I, I am known for also taking an evening bath on, on occasion. So uh, I, I love I love uh, taking a taking a bath. There's something about water that I just love. Nice, nice. So I mean, you're you're into publications, you're into literature, poetry. So I mean, w without assuming anything, I would then say that you're a pretty average reader as well. Is that a good assessment? It is. I don't read books as much as I should, um, but I, I do read a lot of stuff. I, 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 um, I, I subscribe to the Apple News app and signed up with all the publications I want. And I follow Inc. Magazine and Fa Fast Company and also stuff. I'm, I have some interest in science, so I'll follow some science publications and, um, and, and things like that. I'm not really interested in current events because I kind of feel like the stuff that you read that stays with you and is timeless is not the stuff that's generally part of current events. And people mm. get drawn into that and, yeah, you know, they, they agonize over politics and stuff like that. I just try to you know, not try to stay away from some of that. Gotcha. 
So, I mean, with that question, I mean, on this podcast, it's given the opportunity to kind of create a book club. And and I've always asked this question. It's kind of like, well, on your journey, there must have been some book that inspired you. And it must be some book that you may want to recommend for entrepreneurs following in your footsteps. So I'm going to ask you the same thing. I mean, what books have you read on your journey to help you get to where you are? And what books would you want to recommend now that you are where you are? Well, one of the books that everybody recommended a long time ago was, uh, is it Dale Carnegie's, uh, how to make friends, influence people, something along those lines. I I read that. I really liked it. And that sort of led into, uh, Napoleon Hill's think and grow rich. Uh, and I, I thought it was a little, it didn't resonate with me, but I felt like over the years I've appreciated it more after the fact. And uh, I, I kind of maybe it was the style of the writing, uh, but I just didn't connect with it. But I found myself keep going back to it over the years, saying, "Oh yeah, that reminds me of that." And mm-hmm. so I do think it was a little bit more influential than I gave it credit for initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of stories and. Inc. Magazine, especially, I thought does a really good job of describing the startup experience. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I I found myself reading stories about you know people you know working out of their garage and stuff like that. You know, for for me, when I started my business, I didn't have any real money, and so I paid one hundred and twenty dollars for a domain name for two years through Network Solutions. I paid for web hosting that was six dollars a month. And I paid $29 to something called multi-cards that would do credit card processing for you. Mm. And that was it. And the rest was just me, uh, my database of journalists, and me going on to bulletin boards and talking about my products and services. Mm. Uh, And then I started advertising. Uh, Pay-per-click became a thing. And uh, I think at the time it was goto.com or Overture. And, uh, you know, that that opened a new avenue for reaching people. But, you know, I, it doesn't take a lot of money to start a business. Um, I uh, sometimes will get a phone call from someone and they're like, I got a small business administration loan for $25,000 to create a gift basket company. And I just gave $5,000 to a merchant company to do credit card processing. And I'm just like, you don't have to do that. And they're like, and I've got these lawyers set up to turn me into a, a S corp or an LLC corporation. And I'm like, you really don't have to spend that kind of money. I didn't bother incorporating until my business was like five to seven years old uh, because I didn't have anything before that. I was broke and it's like someone sues me. I'm just closing down the business and filing bankruptcy. There wasn't much I, I could do. And it was only about five to seven years where uh, in where I felt like, you know, this is something that I, I should start protecting myself. It's beginning to generate some real money. And um, I always advise people, you know, don't get seduced into feeling that you have to do all these crazy things to start a business. You can just sort of just go out there and put your shingle out there and get started without spending a lot of money. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely agree with that. So, I mean, at this point, I mean, obviously you have a lot of systems in place, right? So what software are you currently using in your company that you would not be able to do what you do without? Well, it's uh, it's custom program backend that we have. We have our ordering system that's all custom programmed um, and uh, you know, allows our editors to log in, pull releases, all the materials together. Um, and, and, and so it, it's a custom solution. Uh, I wish something off the shelf would have worked, but uh, we looked at some shopping cart solutions and it just didn't do what we needed to because you know there's some complicated stuff that has to go on. We have to do a word count when you upload a word document mm. to determine you know because the newswire charges based on words and stuff like that. So it's it's a little complex, but but it works. Um, the I mentioned before Help Scout which is a great ticket list system. I mean, I recommend that really strongly for anybody who wants the appearance of just responding, you know, email, personalized email back and forth without having a ticket number at the top. It, it's, a, it's, it's really cool to have this ticket list system. And it just, everything is handled uh, in a platform that's scalable. So as you add additional people, you just, you know, add them to it and they become part of the process. Nice. Um, 
that definitely sounds like a very solid system, but it seems like you have a, a, a kind of duality system. Like you have some custom software and then you have some off the shelf stuff working together. So I think you have a lot of API integrations going on as well. There, there is a bit. Yes. Nice. Nice. So final words of wisdom. Let's say I'm an entrepreneur and I, I hear this story and, and maybe I like writing poetry. Maybe I just want to get into some kind of form of writing and, and I'm hearing what you're saying and I want to follow in your footsteps. And let's say I'm 20 years old. What words of insight would you give to me to influence me to continue on this journey? Well, um, I would say learn a skill um, and, and back it up with writing. Um, I think that, um, you know, I've recommended to some people in the past, you know, search engine optimization as an opportunity where you can learn, use your writing as well as adding some strategy behind it so that you're helping people, uh, develop content that, you know, it should be relevant to the search engines. And you're looking at things like keyword density and you're wanting to appear natural, but you're not necessarily trying to game the system. And um, also there's the opportunity for, you know, getting links on other people's websites by, you know, providing, you know, them an article or, 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 or something like that, that I, I think that just writing as a writer, it's really difficult to make a living because you run the risk of being a commodity. Mm -hmm. um, we have press release writers that we use and we pay about 50% of what we used to pay. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, the reason for that is over the years, the market has said that, you know, people don't, uh, people are willing to write press releases for less money. And so we were constantly being introduced to writers saying, I'll write a press release uh, for you for $125. Okay. And uh, I'm just like, wow, we're paying someone, you know, $200 to write a release. Yeah. And they're not as good of a writer as you are. And it, it's come down even a little bit more than that. And so, uh, you know, you do run the risk of being a commodity if you're just a straight writer. So I would say add something to it. What makes you a little bit different? Uh, you might be a funnel writer. Uh, you know, you help write content for funnels. Uh, you know, pick a niche and pick something that you, that, you know, fits with your personality and, and be the writer in that space. Because I think that those are the people that people aren't going to go for the, the lowest you know, lowest price person, they're going to say this person's a really phenomenal traffic funnel uh, content writer. And, you know, you, as long as it's, it seems reasonable, you're going to use them, you're not going to say, well, I'm gonna try and find someone who can do it for like, you know, 20 or 30% less. Nice. Uh, the same thing with a really competent SEO guy, if you have a really good track record for, you know, helping improve someone's SEO, then, you know, uh, you're, you're going to get business, and you're going to continue to get business. Nice, nice. So I mean I'm gonna pull like one of the, one of your like your pre-generated questions and, and I'm picking this question because I think my audience would get a lot of value from it and uh, it was number four on your on your question sheet about how to get regular local media coverage without spending a dime. Right. So uh, we get uh, inquiries all the time saying I have a release or I want to get a release out locally. And we always tell them, uh, as much as we love money, we don't want to take your money in this case. Uh, in a local media market, there's probably less than 10 people who would write about you. And I'm including TV and radio as well. Um, so uh, figure out who they are. It's probably a local newspaper, might be a minor newspaper, uh, maybe one or two business publications or business magazines. Uh, and then there might be a couple of uh, radio or TV programs that occasionally interview or profile or spotlight a local business. And then figure out, um, uh, who, you know, how, who, who, how to reach them. And for radio and TV, it's a, a booker or a producer. Um, and for uh, the journalist, it's usually the writer themselves. And you can just call the newspaper and say, I'd like so-and-so's email address. 90% of the time, they're going to give it to you. Uh, if you feel a little shy or you don't want to do that, there's sites out there that you can go to that if you have the person's name and the organization, they'll tell you the email address and they'll usually give like 10 or 20 emails free a month or something like that uh, uh, for, for doing something like that. And like I said, there's once you have those 10 contacts, 
you don't even have to write a press release. You can just uh, reach out to them and just say, hey, my name is so-and-so. I'm with this local company. I'm doing something that I feel is really relevant to your readers because, and then just share it with them. And in addition to that, um, if you see a trend in your industry and, uh, or you follow a competitor in a different city and you see a story about something that's a cool angle, you can then circle back to them and say, hey, I've been seeing a lot more activity about this subject in my industry. I thought you may want to cover it. Whether it's you that gets covered or not, you can be valued as an asset to them so that when you do next have a newsworthy event, they're much more likely to cover it. And we're talking about sending you know, four to maybe eight emails um, a year uh, to these people. So it's not a lot of work. And I always say for local media, you're going to do the best job because you're a human being and it's easy to form a personal relationship with someone who's local. Uh, you know, the, you, you know, the same sports teams, you know, what's really going on in, in, in your city and you can actually read their stuff and say, Hey, I really like that article I saw that you did about X, Y, and Z. Nice, nice. I think that's definitely an elegant way of just reaching out and making it more of a a person-to-person versus a B2B situation. So, yeah. So, I mean, again, so online, like obviously you're you're a big marketer and you have multiple different platforms. How can our audience find you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and so forth? Yeah, um, just uh, look for e-releases. It's twitter.e-releases. Um, I think if you do a search for e-releases in Facebook, uh, we'll, we'll come up. Uh, same thing with LinkedIn. Uh, our website's e-releases.com. And uh, I have that free mastermind class, the video training on PR strategy at e-releases.com slash plan. That's P-L-A-N. And uh, if you, again, if you have any problems or questions or you want to talk to someone, uh, the, you know, just give us a call. We have no salespeople. It's all editors. And uh, they don't get a commission for trying to upsell you. So uh, if they feel like press releases aren't going to work for you, they're completely uh, empowered to, to say so. Uh, we only want to work with people that we feel we're going to be able to do some real uh, yeah, success with. So, I mean, with, the, with that last statement that you made, I mean, if you had to paint a picture of your ideal customer, what would that demographic or that individual look like? Startups. Um, I, I think that's why so many uh, like Shark Tank people work well with us because uh, they understand, they have a really good understanding of what's compelling and interesting. A lot of startups are generally doing something a little bit different than everybody else. I mean, that's why they're on Shark Tank. They're not like the same sort of cookie cutter business. They're, they're doing something a little bit different. Um, and startups, because they're having to differentiate themselves, they understand how to get that across to the media. And they also understand that, you know, uh, one press release isn't a PR campaign. So they're more committed to, you know, uh, doing a series of releases, understanding that some are going to work and some aren't going to work. So you're talking about like just general PR campaigns. What consistency of releases? I mean, are you talking about every 24 hours, every 72 hours, every week? No, I think for small businesses, uh, if you can afford it, uh, try to do one release a month. Um, and, uh, if, if you can afford that, it's not in your budget. Um, I would say at a minimum, try to do one a quarter. And, uh, you know, so I have some people that loosely follow that they average three or four releases a year and they do see results as, as a result of it. You know, the more you get out there and the more, um, industry trade publications see your name in a headline when there's, uh, looking they're, they're more likely to say, Oh yeah, I remember them. I saw them a few months ago, but this one looks a little more interesting. I'll finally click through and learn a little bit more. And then hopefully that could result in an article. Hmm. Nice. Nice. So going into like a bonus question, right? If you could spend 24 hours with anyone, dead or alive, uninterrupted for those 24 hours, who would it be and why? Hmm. Well, it's one of those questions that you kind of like, all the other questions, you just kind of, you just know the answers. And this one, you just kind of have to think about it a little bit. I would have to say, I'm going to be honest here. And, and it's like, I, I would like to spend 24 hours with my father. He died when I was young. Um, and I have a lot of good memories, but I would love to talk to him as an adult and, uh, you know, just get 
have a natural conversation and and talk with him. Uh, I would be curious what he thinks, how my life turned out, and how things are going. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I was leaning towards a celebrity, but I was like, personally, that was who, who I was drawn to when you first asked. Nice, nice. So just going into closing, I mean. On this journey, this conversation, questions may have come up on your side that you may want to ask me. So I always give whoever I'm interviewing an opportunity to interview me. Is there any questions that you would like to ask me? Well, um, marketing. Uh, what 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 do you feel is the future or, or trending right now in, in the marketing arena? I've been told by a lot of people that I need to get into video and YouTube and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so I mean, to answer that, I mean, I think video, it's it's not new, right? It's 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 not it's been around. I mean, television and advertising has been like around post radio, so that's always going to be here. And but it's figuring out new alternatives to video. Secondary to that, something else that I've been looking into, and it's kind of, you know, I thought it would have been a little bit further along by now, but it hasn't really peaked. Because I think people haven't learned how to really utilize it. And that's kind of voice, like talking about um, Amazon devices, Google devices, Siri, and having these devices kind of market for you based upon what users are using them for. An example of that would be if I'm constantly asking Siri or Alexa to do something in particular, by default, the algorithm then should present an advertisement to me based upon what I do. Now, what I have heard on these devices lately is, hey, your printer's running low on ink. That's kind of like the ongoing marketing. Hey, we realized through our network that your printer has been running prints for a certain period of time and they're low on ink and time for you to buy a replacement. But how could we take that and expand it more into like what you're doing, right? How could you since say, hey, here's a, a general update of your reach this week or th today. The last 24 hours, we put this newspaper article out. This is your reach. This is your staff. This is your analytics. That should be delivered verbally instantly just by talking to a device. And I'm thinking that's the next generation. We just got to get people used to talking to a device, talking to an artificially intelligent individual. Very cool. Yep, yep. Well, I mean, if you, I definitely appreciate your time. I think you definitely delivered a lot of nuggets and a lot of insight for somebody to kind of really think about, like, the not necessarily the cons, but all the value add that e-delivery and, and e-newsletters and giving people a, a, a definition of what you do and how it can be fruitful and to your credit. I mean, you've been working with people with Shark Tank, so it, it's definitely proof in your pudding. And I definitely commend you and thank you for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss in Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash freebook.